0: Relentlessly negative doom and gloom news media. It's the Nick Stenger Show. Coming to you live from the Stenger Family Office Headquarters. It's your host, Nick Stenger. Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Nick Stenger Show. I am your host, Nick Stenger. This is the 104th installment of the show We are the Stenger Family Office, headquartered in Naperville, Illinois. For the past 42 long years, it has been our mission to deliver both clarity and confidence to help secure your financial future. Well, here we are. The title of this week's show and article is Driving Right Over a Cliff that is the predicament that we are in today the big news of the week that you have been following everybody has been watching is the fact that the fed has pushed svb essentially into bankruptcy the stock is worth nothing the bank has failed not a small bank by any standards actually a not a large bank but a regional nonetheless had at its all-time peak a market cap of almost $50 billion. So this, yes, is a big deal. Now, in the other shows that I have done this past week, I have reminded you, I do not think that this is a signal of a domino effect or some people are saying a canary in the coal mine of what is to come. Rather, I believe this is something unique to SVB. But if the Fed is not reined in, if things are not dealt with on a Federal Reserve level could, in fact, be a signal of bigger problems to come. So the the big issue with SVB, what's really going on is, remember, it is a Silicon Valley bank company. It's in the Silicon Valley. It's in the name SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. They dealt heavily with venture capital firms, dealt heavily with startups, And when startups need cash and when liquidity starts to dry up, remember liquidity dries up when the Fed raises interest rates, when they start pulling money out of the system, when that happens, growth companies, growth stocks especially, get slammed. That's where we're at today. That's what's going on. Now, another problem at SVB that should be noted is the fact that they were not engaging in overly great Risk management techniques. First of all, you should not be buying long-term bonds as a bank that pay 1% in interest. When you do that, when you buy long-term bonds, everybody knows this, the price of the bonds get crushed when interest rates go up. Remember, interest rates going up, bond prices going down, that inverse relationship anybody who knows anything about the bond market understands this so why did svb get it so wrong why weren't they hedging inflation risk probably because they didn't truly believe that interest rates could ever go up they bought into this ridiculous idea that the fed had kept interest rates artificially low for a long period of time they thought that those low rates would be here forever As we found out, that's not necessarily the case. If you really thought that interest rates were going to not go up, if you thought that rates would be low forever, maybe you were buying into this idea from the Federal Reserve. Remember in 2021, Janet Yellen, Jerome Powell, the wonderful people, the wonderful leaders that we have the, the all-wise central planners came out and essentially said, don't worry, inflation is transitory, it's all supply chain, COVID-related, it's going to go away overnight, essentially, is what they promised. Now, if you were one of our clients, you realized that this was not true. We kept telling you, inflation is not transitory, this is here to stay. Why? Because we were focused on one key metric, and that is M. To the supply of money floating around in the economy. If you've taken a high level or even a college level basic economics course or an advanced course, you've been taught to watch M2 money supply. A lot of the kids that come out of University of Chicago know this. This is a big deal that if you are following the Milton Friedman standard, that two many dollars chasing too few goods as your definition of inflation, that when you print a boatload of dollars into the economy, the value of each incremental dollar becomes worth less. That's just basic math. If you thought that M2 would not be a problem and you thought that inflation was transitory, you did what SVB did. You bought the long-term debt thinking that everything would be great forever. Now, Here's the other problem with SVB. When they started to see interest rates rise, because remember there was a start to this. It's not like we just got the 5% overnight. This has been a drawn out process. Started in 2022. We knew rates were going up. I believe, and I'm not an expert in risk management, but I will tell you they probably should have gotten together and started hedging their risk. From what I've Read and what I understand about the situation, they had the opportunity to do this. They did not do it. Lots of mistakes. That's why I think that this SVB crisis is somewhat isolated, maybe not totally isolated, but you have to remember this is a Silicon Valley based bank. It's in the name Silicon Valley Bank, and they are dealing primarily out there on the West Coast with startups, with small companies, with venture capital. Everything I read, everything I see on Twitter seems to suggest that a lot of people really liked working with the bank. But the problem is, is when you're over-concentrated in one sector, and we tell our clients this all the time, you don't want to be over-concentrated in energy stocks, you don't want to be over-concentrated in financial stocks, you also don't want to be over-concentrated if you're a bank in one sector. That was part of the problem of SVB, is they had way too much exposure to technology and possibly because they felt like they were the uh, vanguards they were helping these tech companies out which i think in a large way they were eventually what happens though is if you overdo it with no risk management you're going to have problems so that's svb then the second story was first republic bank which is also based out on the west coast I believe, personally, just looking at the data, looking at what's going on at SVB, it seems like First Republic was overdone. Now, I am not telling you to go out and buy First Republic. In fact, I would I would be very careful before you do something like that. So, take this next statement for what it's worth. But I believe that First Republic is probably a little bit overdone, Um Inside sources tell me that some of the management could be a little bit problematic, similar to the problems that we saw at SVB, uh, maybe a little bit too aggressive, but I don't think they they have the same concentration risk that SVB would have. It does seem like they would be a little bit more aggressive than a J.P. Morgan, than a, a large Goldman Sachs type of institution, Uh, Those institutions are considered Category 1, which means they're systematically important. And whatever that means uh, basically tells us that they have very stringent capital requirements, more stringent than SVB would have or First Republic. The third one that was interesting was Charles Schwab. And and so once you start to see the drop in Charles Schwab stock then it starts to really look overdone. And I tend to believe some of the management over at Schwab, I, I watched what they put out. Um, actually, their CEO just came out and bought 50,000 shares of Schwab stock. Obviously, as a vote of confidence that the company is going to be okay. Really an interesting move. I think actually kind of a respectable move. I believe it's going to be okay long term. And the other thing is Schwab wasn't out there buying long-term bonds. In fact, I don't think they've ever done that. If you look at the activity report that they put out monthly, it appears like they are actually doing quite okay. They're not losing customer deposits. They're actually bringing money in. So some of this overblown fear, which is very common if you've been an investor, you know that one one little story gets blown totally out of proportion with the media. The media takes a small little thing, makes it a huge thing. Why? Well, like we've always told you, because they are trying to get clicks on articles, they are trying to get um, advertisers, and they know that the doom and gloom stories, the scarier the story, the more and more advertisements they sell. That's where we're at. Don't buy in all the hype. Be very careful before you start listening to the noise. A couple articles ago, we were talking about the signal-to-noise ratio, how important it is to understand really what noise is, what the nonsense is behind the scenes versus the true signal of the market's What is the true signal of the markets? Like I have explained week in and week out, simply, company profits. Remember this formula when you go through and remember the basic stock uh, uh, definition, which is stocks are simply a claim on real assets. If you've read Dr. Jeremy Siegel's book, Stocks for the Long Run, you understand this fact that stocks give you a claim on property, plant, and equipment, cash of a business, cash flow of the business, intellectual property, goodwill, all the different assets minus liabilities. That's what a stock is intrinsically worth. If you have a really good company, if you're buying stocks with great earnings, what happens is those growing earnings over time are worth a multiple because we... In accounting, the term is a going concern. We believe that those profits are going to be around for the long run. If you are a basic S&P 500 company, and, and we're not even talking the top of the top of the top, we're talking run of the mill, not maybe the bottom of the S&P 5, but uh, at least kind of in the middle towards the upper third of the S&P 500, you at a minimum have a fighting chance to grow your earnings about 6% a year. Why do I say 6% a year? Well, since 1913, remember 1913, that's when the Fed came into existence, monetary supply, M2 growth has gone up about 6% a year. If you continue to print 6% more dollars per year into the economy and you are a company, you are going to have to raise your prices 5 to 6% a year over time. Now, you may be looking at CPI, consumer price inflation, thinking, Nick, how can you say that prices go up 6% a year? I'm only seeing CPI go up 2 or 3%. Well, the saving grace of monetary supply growth is the fact that we've had such wonderful technology the past 100, 150 years that has really saved our butts and helped us avoid a stagflation scenario. But, basic, basic S&P 500 company, your first component of long-run return, maybe not every year, but long-run return is 6% per year from monetary supply growth. Not a guarantee, but that's historically what's happened. Now, if you are a very good S&P 500 company, again, not the upper, upper echelon, but you're really good, you are probably making so much money, so much cash that you are... You have no idea what to do with it you don't want to just keep it on your balance sheet because it's not earning anything it's not giving a return to shareholders so you start giving that cash back to shareholders in the form of dividends stock buybacks and so the second component of a stock's return is not only m2 money supply growth that's number one of six percent a year but on top of the six percent another two to three percent per year in dividends and buybacks Wonder, wonderful wonderful place to be now number three last part of a stock's return is if you are the best and we're talking not the s p 500 not even the s p 50 but really maybe the s p top 10 or five you are getting a technology what i would call a technology growth premium you're getting baseline six percent a year monetary supply growth 2 to 3% a year on top of that in dividends and buybacks. And then on top of that, another maybe 5 to 10% a year in just outsized profit growth because you have created this company, you've created technology that everybody has to use, number one, or number two, that is just a competitive advantage that nobody can touch. Look at Microsoft the past five years, the five-year return on that stock has been a year, I believe. Uh, Five-year return on Apple, 22% per year the past five years. I think these numbers maybe have come down a little bit with the correction going on. But the bottom line is, is we have these upper echelon of companies that are just beating all inflation. They are beating the general market. And it's not to say you should put your money in them. Past performance doesn't guarantee anything. However, it's just a comment on the fact that over time, stocks are your best hedge against inflation, your best bet on beating money supply growth, the rising cost of goods over time. So stay put, don't panic, don't jump ship, don't get off your plan because of this short term panic, this short term pain with SVB and all the uncertainty around it. The uncertainty in the market, this time of fear, breeds opportunity if you are a patient, long-term investor. Let's get into this next part where people have been asking, Nick, what about if I'm already retired and what if I'm in my 80s? So let's kind of break down our general planning strategy depending on where you're at in your journey. If you are in your 30s and 40s and you are working you are going to continue working for a while not blanket advice you have to do this on an individual basis on a financial plan call us if you want to get a financial plan put together but what i would tell you is you should be highly highly allocated to u.s companies that pay dividends Dividends over time, maybe not the most exciting companies, but dividends over time have been such an important component of the S&P 500's return. Some people have pivoted towards international stocks, and in a year like this year where international stocks, yes, are beating U.S. stocks, we have still cautioned people, do not get overly excited on this short-term bump. If you back up and you look at the past 5 years, US stocks have completely dominated Chinese, Japanese, European stocks broad broadly speaking. And and so just do not do not do not sell your US stocks if you are still working. This stuff is going to be wonderful for you over the next couple many years hopefully as you get into retirement. Do you need to have bonds? I don't believe so, but what I would tell you to do is if you get closer to retirement, depending on where you have to take your cash from, depending on where your income withdrawals are going to come from, you may need to start adding some to very short-term treasuries as you start to approach retirement. If you are in your 60s, let's talk about that for a second. If you are already retired, but you're not in your 80s, you're sort of in that mid-range, you just retired 65, 70 years old. That's where you start getting into the financial plan. And what we tell our clients is first and foremost, you want to take two to three, maybe even four years of your ultra conservative years of living expenses, sock that away in the portfolio into short term treasuries and cash. You need to have a buffer because at a certain point, you're going to need to take some money out of the accounts, you're going to need some liquidity. Don't wait till it's too late. Build liquidity into your plan ahead of time. And then, number two, a couple years ago during COVID when we were doing this, that cash was paying nothing. And we had people calling saying, Nick, why why do you have two, three years, hundreds of thousands of dollars just sitting there earning no interest? I said, just wait. It's going to serve a purpose. At least now with interest rates where they are in the 45 to 5% zone on money markets, get yourself into something that's paying some interest. But Leave that as an asset class. Asset allocation is so critical, so important. Leave yourself a buffer in the portfolio in case we continue to have these downturns. Let's go out to the 80s now. And I got a question like this coming in almost every week now. Nick, I'm in my 80s. I'm 85. How in the world am I ever going to make up this most recent correction? How are we going to get out of the woods? To which my response is... Just think about your longer, longer term plan, which is not you just passing away. I know, yes, a little bit morbid to talk about. But after that, if you've got kids, if you've got grandkids, please don't blow your grandkids, your kids out of the water by making a bad decision now. And unfortunately, I've seen this happen where grandma and grandpa get very nervous, they panic, they go to cash. And then the kids inherit the money. They're going to keep the plan going for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years, hopefully even longer than that. But grandma and grandpa panicked early and left a lot of return on the table. Again, if you really don't feel comfortable, go back to the financial plan. But once you have your financial plan, stick to it. Don't pivot. Don't panic. Don't freak out and jump ship. If you have a plan, you need to stick to it. Or else, don't even make a plan at all. Just wing it. Don't. I don't encourage that. I don't recommend it. But once you have that plan, you have to stick to it. You cannot go through these uh, times where every time the market whipsaws, every time it goes down 5 or 10%, you're changing your strategy. And unfortunately, over the years, us doing this 42 years now, we have seen people do that. And it's really, it's quite sad to see. They they really start to uh, eat into their long-run return. And some people have even really affected their own personal situation as their expenses rise because they're sitting in too much cash, sitting in too much bonds, not getting the return they need. Okay, so that is that. Um, One other big thing, I think, that is going to come up that is going to drive a lot of the discussion is when you are in a high inflation environment, like we are in today, maybe not stagflation quite yet. There's still, thankfully, lots of growth going on. There's still a lot of good stuff behind the scenes. But unfortunately, what has happened is when you print the level of money that we printed in COVID, about $5 trillion all in, half of it was From the republicans essentially about half of it a little over half of it was the democrats when you print that much money you have to burn it off over time that that money doesn't just leave the system overnight it has to kind of work its way out of the system that doesn't just happen with the snap of your fingers uh it takes a while and i think that's kind of where we're we are today is we are in that burn off stage I've kind of called it like the wilderness, if you remember back to the biblical days with the Israelites wandering around. And and uh, and uh, remember, before they got to the promised land, they wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness. I don't think it's going to take us that long. I don't think it'll take us 40 years to burn off the nonsense from COVID. But it certainly is probably going to take us a couple of years. I, I think if, if you kind of look at the whole deal, 2020, it all started probably a two-year lag minimum just on what we did in 2020 that puts you at 2022 then 2021 we had more spending more stimulus that puts you into 2023 if you count up two years there was even more nonsense done last year in 2022 so that puts us into 2024 i think if you look historically that inflation's on a two-year lag after monetary growth and so we could be looking at a pretty choppy summer in the stock market. I think we're probably looking at not a whole lot of return overall well into 2024 until Jerome Powell comes out and says interest rates are at least pausing interest rates are going to go down. But remember the market is a forward looking indicator of what's to come by the time he comes out with that press conference and says something Market could just rally a thousand points that day. You could see five percent, six percent gains. That's not out of the ordinary when some good news comes out. That's why you have to stay invested throughout these cycles. Don't try to time it. Don't try to get in and get out. What we do is asset allocation, so we'll be a little bit more aggressive with our our um, value versus growth mix when rates are going up will be a little bit more growth-oriented when rates are going down. That's the only thing we're going to do, but you just have to be so careful, and I would urge you, don't just make these blanket switches where you go from cash, all the, all the equities, all the equities back to all cash. You can time it right sometimes, but if you time it wrong even once, you can really goof up your long-run return. Just be careful with that. Stay on a plan. Stay allocated properly. And if SVB teaches us something, stay diversified. You should not have more than maybe 6 7% in one stock. Um, I, I probably wouldn't have more than 20% in a sector. Just be very careful. If you are working at a company, just remember, you have double exposure if you own your company stock. Like, let's say you work at an energy company. Not only do you have the risk that you could have problems with your own income because you work for the energy company... If you've got a lot of stock in that energy company and you get laid off or something bad happens, you have double risk. That's why you just need to be careful. Keep yourself diversified. I'm not saying don't have anything in your company stock, but get it on a plan. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for being here for episode 104. We will be back with you next week for the 105th episode of the Nick Stanger Show. I'm your host, Nick Stanger. Thank you so much.